0: We have spoken of elders and deacons before, but I was actually quite surprised over the last week. I have had a number of people who have come and said, we're not actually sure what these offices mean, what they actually do. And so I thought that it would be appropriate as one individual commented, it's like that We've been given a bird's eye view from about 30,000 feet. But now I think we need to look a little bit closer. To conduct the business of the church in a most biblical manner, we must look closely at scripture so that each person is able to understand what the function is, what the role is, and the calling of both deacons and elders and all that that entails. You'll notice that the message this morning has been entitled, Facing a Solemn Task. Anytime we come to church, it is a solemn task to be able to do God's work, God's way. You see, it would be easy to be able to stand up in the pulpit and to be able to give you my opinion, but my opinion really doesn't make any difference whatsoever and will not change your life. But God's word will. There are times that we can be hasty in decisions believing that it is right and yet we can be wrong. If we're not careful, I believe that we might run pell-mell into trouble instead of relying on God to guide us in his timing. A church can run for years without deacons or without elders we My mom and dad, we have been servants. We served in England as church planting missionaries. Uh, There are a lot of churches over there that have neither elders nor deacons. But those same churches are also dead. You see, a true church of the living God, a living church, will never be able to run without spiritual oversight. Christ himself established the very first church. He established the office and position of shepherd and overseer, knowing that we are all like sheep. We need to be led, we need to be cared for. And ultimately, it is as a servant that the Master calls us to be like Him, for He was the perfect Master. He was also the perfect servant. The church must have men to be able to serve the church through leadership, through godly leadership, not just any type of leadership, but godly leadership. This is what we desire. Listen to what British Baptist pastor Benjamin Keach noted. Somebody mentioned this morning um, uh, about Charles Spurgeon. Oh, uh, you did. Um, well, the, previ- or the predecessor church to Metropolitan Tabernacle was actually pastored by this gentleman in the 1600s, Benjamin Keach. He said this, consider what a multitude of enemies that we have that strive to divide us and ruin us all. And this should caution us to take heed that we do not seek to ruin and destroy one another. I believe those are very wise words. And for us to live in such a way where we are accountable to one another, we are serving one another it is as one person recently commented to me, the church just last night, a longtime friend of my dad's, the Rick Stook he commented and said, the church really should be a family at every core of its being. It should be a family. The world would have us to believe that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, though, should be run as a business endeavor. Sadly, too many churches have bought into this perspective. And in so doing, I believe that the church acts like the world at times, and more times than not, I believe that acting in this way can bring ruin and destroy the local body of believers. We can end up adding things in order to ensure that we're in compliance maybe with man's law, but forget that we are the bride of Christ, and it is far more important it is far more right, and it is far more biblical that we obey God rather than man. Some of you may be aware of the ministry of John MacArthur. There's a, new move, there's a new documentary, if you will, that is coming out. I believe it's called The Essential Church. Has anybody seen the advertisements for that? Well, unfortunately, it's not coming here to Wyoming yet, um, but it will eventually be here on DVD, And in there, John MacArthur actually shares, and there are several others from the church who shared what God did when they stood against the government and won in regards to the whole COVID debacle that took place over a couple of years. They chose to remain open just as we did here at Yellowstone Baptist Church, and I believe that we see the results of that here today. But who is the bride of Christ? I believe the bride of Christ is made up of all who have been drawn by the Holy Spirit and have been granted the faith to believe. Each person drawn is brought to repentance whereby they can know that their sins have been forgiven and that the Holy Spirit now indwells their life as a down payment, as a partial payment on the inheritance that we are going to gain. The Bible is clear, though, that a person who has not come in this manner to the Lord Jesus Christ is not one of his children, but is still a child of the evil one. I don't know your hearts this morning, but I believe it's important that if you miss anything else this morning, don't miss this. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And as Paul said, of whom I am chief. And because he came into the world to save sinners, he didn't come into the world to save good people or good moral people or just Americans. This is one of the reasons why we have the missions moment every Sunday. Now, for the last few years, we have been praying alphabetically through every country and every territory in the entire world. We're only now up to N, coming up next Sunday. As the bride of Christ, there are some things that I believe we need to see as a congregation in regards to the only two offices that have been given to the church, elder and deacon. God's word has given us the standard, and if we are going to move into the future in a way that is pleasing to him here at Yellowstone Baptist Church, then we need to do it in a way Or do it in his way and in his timing, even if it does take a while. Now, a few caveats before we get into the main part of the message. A pastor or an elder is not called to be a CEO. Now, that may surprise you, but a pastor is not a CEO. A pastor has no authority on his own. The only authority a pastor will ever have, as I shared last week, is the authority that comes from the word of God to be able to obey the word of God, to be able to teach the word of God in where the Bible is silent. We are to remain silent. Deacons. Deacons are not called to be a board of directors but servants of the Most High to His people. In fact, anybody who serves in any kind of capacity within the local church should be acting as a servant to one another. Whether it's a class that you're teaching or whether it's you're involved in OCC or any other missions giving, when you come up and you put a dime or a quarter or, or a dollar bill or a $20 bill, whatever it is that you put in this offering basket, you are actually being a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are actually, in essence, you are serving the people to whom this bucket is going to be going, this money. Members are not stockholders. They are called to recognize that we are all, number one, to love one another. To love one another as Christ loves us. To serve one another. There's a reason, and and many of you know this, we've interacted, and even outside of here, uh, I like using the title for each and every one of you. Anybody remember what it is? Brother. Now, I don't do that to the ladies, to the cisterns, but I do that to the brother. It's Brother Al, Brother Gabe, Brother Diego, my dad, that's my dad. But then I call you, if you're a sister here, I call you a sister in the Lord Jesus Christ because that is the way that families interact with one another. We know and recognize that there is only one father and that is God. And then thirdly, not only are we to love one another, not only are we to serve one another, but we are to be in unity with one another as a family. Guides, rules, constitutions, even doctrinal statements. We've said this before. They're not the final authority for Yellowstone Baptist Church. The Bible is. The Bible supersedes all of that. The documents that we have, we've already seen. There are some of you who have already mentioned this in the past, here in the last month or so. There are some areas that we missed in the Constitution. There's going to be some areas that we're going to have to revise or update at some point in the future. Why? Because those documents were not written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit like God's word was. There's only one of God's word. So we come this morning and I want to show you firstly the word usage that is found in the New Testament because there are a number of churches and there are some that are like us. They may be well-meaning, but I think there are a lot of people that haven't actually been taught about these things. The first word is presbyteros. Now, all of these are actually referring to the same office of elder, overseer, bishop, shepherd. They're all the same position. The word presbyteros, which is where we get our word presbytery or Presbyterian from, actually means elder in English. It is used 66 times. It is the most used of all of the office positions or the titles that are used for. Well, I don't want to say title because uh, what we actually do is, is not a title. It's a position that we serve in. So we don't want anybody to come up and call us Presbyteros Mark or Elder Mark. A lot of people ask me, well, what would you like me to call you? And I say, how about just Mark? I'm a brother in Christ just like you are. The difference is that I've been tasked with the awesome and the solemn responsibility of being able to open up the word of God week after week to be able to teach you what God's word has to say. There are times, though, like this morning, I sit in the Sunday school class and I'm hearing another brother be able to share the words of God. The second word is the word episkopos. We get the word, you may have heard, episcopal. And episkopos simply means one who is an overseer. And I'm going to break these down here in just a moment for you. It is used five times in scripture. And then the third word is the word poimen. Poimen is used only four times, and it refers to one who is a pastor or a shepherd, one who takes care of a flock. I think that the term pastor or shepherd is, is actually one that probably has the most emotive uh, or the, the most emotions, if you will, behind all of that, because it refers to how he reflects or how he feels the emotions that he has in dealing with the flock of God. So out of these three words here, the first one, elder or presbyteros, this describes who a man is and it reveals his character. So a man who has a character, you've heard maybe heard the saying, what is the difference between reputation and character? Reputation is what people think you are. Character is what God knows you are. So someone who is an elder, God knows the character of this individual. Now, this is not somebody who is perfect, because nobody is perfect, and that does not excuse sin from any one of us, but it's important that we strive to have a character that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ, even at times when we may be confronted about something, or maybe there's something that is said that we don't like. Some of you are looking at me with a blank stare, like, maybe you've never had that happen to you. Seriously. There are sometimes that people, even within our own families, sometimes they're going to say things that we don't like. There are going to be times maybe when we have a particular sin in our life and another brother needs to come up to be able to address that with us and that we might be able to make that right with one another. A person, though, who is not willing to make things right, who is, who is not willing to admit when they're actually at wrong in a particular area, is not qualified to be an elder. Secondly, an overseer, this refers to what a man does. This basically is his function. It's to oversee, that's the simple part of the word, to oversee everything that takes place in regards to a local congregation. Now, that can involve being involved with the deacons. It could be a spiritual matter whereby there's marital counseling or some kind of counseling that has taken place. But ultimately, all spiritual well-being within a local congregation is tasked biblically to an elder, to those who have spiritual oversight, as Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 tells us, for they watch for your soul. That's a pretty solemn task. You see, if the Lord spares me and he spares you for a little while longer and he spares me for a little while longer, one day we're going to get a call. And either you're going to hear that Mark has gone on to be with the Lord, or I'm going to hear that you have. And there may be times when I'm going to be called upon, as I have already done, and that is to conduct your funeral, to be able to conduct your celebration of life. And the question that we're going to have to answer, not just to that family, but to those who are there is, number one, what is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is the gospel being clearly presented? For what it is worth, I don't believe that a man who stands at a funeral and does not proclaim the gospel of God is not a true minister of Jesus Christ. You have a perfect opportunity to be able to share. There is only one life. It will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. I remember when I worked in the funeral industry and served as a chaplain out of the 273, 274 funerals that I did over the course of the eight years, I only knew three of the individuals that I ever did the service for. I can tell you a number of cases where there were individuals who would come up and they say, listen, we know you're a pastor, we know you're a preacher, but we don't want any of that Bible stuff in the funeral. We just want you to give some nice words about our loved one. I said, no, I can't do that because I would be dishonoring to God first and foremost. I am going to proclaim the truth and I would say at every funeral the last thing that I would say was if this person who is here before us could come back for just 30 seconds it doesn't matter whether they're in hell or whether they're in heaven I believe that they could come back for 30 seconds that they would tell you this No Jesus Christ That's it even the rich man in hell knew that he deserved to be there, but he asked Mo- or he asked Abraham to be able to send Lazarus or somebody to be able to go witness to his family so they wouldn't come to this awful place. But he knew he was right where he deserved to be. Somebody who is an overseer, that spiritual function that says, I care about you not just on a Sunday morning between 11 and 12.15, but all spiritual well-being. This is why we have so many things on offer. This is why we have the ladies' meeting, why we have the men's meeting, why we have the prayer meeting and Bible study on a midweek. It's because we want you to be able to, whether you're doing it at home or not, to be able to spend time with God. And I'll be honest, it's not easy in the rush of all that's going on in your life and all that's going on in my life, it's easy to put your head down on your pillow and realize, oh man, I didn't spend any time in prayer today or I didn't spend any time reading my Bible. I didn't spend any time with my family pointing them to Jesus Christ. And sometimes we just have to ask God to forgive us and start all over again. The final word, point men. The one that means a shepherd. Again, this is a word that refers to his attitude. Does he seek to shepherd? Again, not perfectly because there's only one person who does it perfectly, and that's Jesus Christ. The qualifications for these are actually found in two locations throughout the scripture. And one is 1 Timothy chapter 3, which we have already read. It actually goes from verse 1 through verse 13, which also includes the deacons. And then we also find these qualifications for an elder in Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And we'll look at that, Lord willing, next Sunday. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 2 brings these two verses or brings these three terms all together. Listen to what Peter said. So I exhort the elders who are among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd, there's the second word, men, the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. Here's the third word. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Peter is instructing the elders to be good overseers as they pastor. The first point, shepherd the flock. Paul makes clear in 1 Timothy that this is not just a solemn task, but it is also a noble task. I can't remember... I I forgot to write the person down. It was either D.L. Moody or Charles Spurgeon. One of them said, why should I stoop to be a king when I can be a minister of God's word? A man must aspire to the office. The word here simply means to stretch oneself out in order to touch or grasp something, to reach after or desire something. Now, as as you can imagine, you've seen several of, you know, my boys and all but one of my boys are all taller than me. And I can remember as they grow up, they would say, well, I can't reach it, dad. We'll stand on a step stool, get a chair so you can reach the top cabinets because I certainly couldn't reach them, and my wife couldn't reach them. And after a while they got taller than us and they were overreaching and they were saying things like, well, dad, why don't you stand on a chair? And now my daughters are both taller than both of us. And they're asking us to stand on chairs. This is what this term is referencing here. To stretch yourself beyond what you think is capable, stretch just a little bit more. Do you remember when you were in school? I know this is going to be a long stretch for some of us. Do you remember when you were in school and it came time to be weighed and measured and how high you were, how much you had grown maybe in the last year? Yeah, some of you are already doing it. You're remembering. It's like, okay, today you're four foot three, three, four. And the teacher would put the thing on the ruler on top of your head and mash your hair down and you find out you're actually only four foot one. (laughs) stretching oneself in order to touch or to grasp something. In other words, the gift of being an elder doesn't fall into the lap of a man with no effort. It takes a lot of work to be an elder. To be able to stand and to deliver God's word requires large amounts of time spent praying, spent learning the people, learning and understanding who Jesus Christ is, opening up the word of God and saying, I'm not going to give you my opinion this morning. I'm going to tell you what God's word says. A spiritual man will stretch themselves like one maybe who goes to the gym and you get to the end of your workout and you maybe you've walked or you've run for two miles and you think, yes, I can do just a little bit more. So you stretch your muscles and you work them a little bit more and you try to strive to be able to reach that third mile. But it is also a noble task. This phrase, he desires a noble task here, It literally means that he has set his heart upon a task that is more than good. It is excellent in its nature and its characteristics, and it is well adapted to the person who is striving towards the end. The end is the glory of God. Paul is saying here that an elder is necessary to the well-being of the church and that each person who serves in such a capacity is gifted by God to do so. A noble task. Secondly, the responsibility is not just to shepherd the flock, but it is to exercise oversight. And the word means to look upon, to inspect carefully, to beware. A similar word to this, anybody here wear contacts or ever worn contacts? All right, a few of you have. So what happens? You're sitting there, you're standing maybe in the kitchen or in the living room, and then all of a sudden you realize it's gone. What do you do? Everybody back up. Don't move. And then you get down on your hands and knees, and you're trying to find that little tiny round disc to be able to pop it back in your eye so that you can see again. It's a similar word that is being used here. In other words, we are being circumspect. Paul uses this word in Ephesians chapter 5, be redeeming the time because the days are evil. In other words, scope out what's around you. Make sure that there's nothing that gets in your little space here that is going to take your eyes away from the Savior. Just as we are called... Men, to have oversight of our families, to protect them from the dangers of the world. So too is an elder called to seek to protect the flock from the spiritual dangers that the world presents. Listen, you you can turn on the TV, you can go to YouTube, you can go to Netflix, you can go to uh, the radio, you can go down to the local bookstore, Christian bookstore, and you can find all kinds of material that has the word Christian on it. And most of it is not worth your time. Why? Because it will try to tell you how you can be a better you, not how you can have a better view of Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear that we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly, to think righteously, and so much more as the day is approaching, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. We have to be looking around us to see if there's anything that is going to distract us. And when we lose that vision, sometimes maybe we just need to back everybody away and get back in so that our vision can be corrected. Exercise oversight. Those of you who have read Pilgrim's Progress You will remember that Pilgrim goes through the town of Vanity Fair. The town of Vanity Fair dresses up the sin and immorality of the world to appear alluring and desirable. It is enticing to the eye, but in the end, it is empty vanity fair represents the pride the arrogance and the conceit of the world it is a description of the world without christ if you want to be discouraged if you want to be suffer with anxiety in your life ponder just a moment what your life would be without christ where would you be today where would i be today if it wasn't for the work of the Holy Spirit coming in and doing that work in our heart that says, I want you as one of my children. But too often we as Christians, we we can get caught up in the vanity fairs of this world. It's alluring. It is desirable. But what ends up happening is we're following, as John says in the first epistle of John that he wrote We follow the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and it's all desirable for but a short moment. And then eventually, you must pay the piper. Paul dealing here with exercising oversight, he says that it is not to be done under compulsion. It is to be done willingly. In other words, don't do this by any constraint but God. You see, God is the one that calls a man to serve in whatever capacity or a woman to serve in whatever capacity is that they're called to, not man. I'm not a minister today because my dad was a minister or because my grandfathers were ministers. I'm a minister today because that's what God called me to do. There was a time, and I believe this is what Paul is referencing here in England, for example, and I believe it was even the case here in the New World for quite some time in the early colonies. But if you were the first son, you inherited the the father's business, whatever that may have been. And then the second one might be a lawyer. And the third one was relegated to being a vicar at the local church or a pastor. They didn't have a choice in the matter. And there were many men who became ministers who had no saving grace within their own heart, and they preached a dead message from a dead heart. Not for shameful gain, Paul continues, but eagerly, the servanthood of an elder is to be on display. An elder who moves to a new ministry because of money is disqualified. I've heard of pastors who go and The longest part of the conversation that they have with a pulpit committee is how much they're going to make. Shame on that pulpit committee if that's what they focus on. Shame on that man who wants to be called a pastor if that's what his focus is. I have a friend and they stated that they lost their pastor recently. And I said, why is that? And they said, because he moved. Well, did he pass away? No, he took another church. Did he give a reason why he took the other church? Yes, for a $20,000 a year increase. He went from 80000 to to $100,000 with a few additional benefits. That's not a pastor. That is a hireling. That moves us to Acts chapter 20, and for the sake of time, you don't have to turn there, but I just want to read three verses. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And this is what Paul gave the instructions to the Ephesian elders. Pay attention to yourself. Every message that I prepare I have to spend time asking God, Lord, what is there in my life that needs to be changed? What is it that you want to teach me through this passage? Because if I can't learn something from it, there's no way that I can expect you to learn something from it. So he tells these these. Elders, look to yourself. Pay attention to what you are doing. Pay attention to your lifestyle. Pay attention to your ministry, to the way you conduct or the way that you share the word of God. Secondly, pay attention to the flock. I'll be honest, it's not easy. I mean, the the one phrase that is used or the one word that is used more and more throughout the scripture is we are sheep right that's what god sees us as we are sheep anybody ever met a smart sheep <laughs> sheep can be dumb we can all be dumb We can all get so focused on what's going on in the world and then we come and maybe we'll get together in family prayer or we'll get together in a home group or we'll get together at church and we'll get down and pray and we'll cast all of our cares on him and then we'll stand up and we'll say, Lord, thank you for listening. I got it from here. And we'll take it and sling it back on our shoulders and walk out thinking that we've done something special. I don't know about you, but I've been there a number of times to think that We are to cast our care upon him. What are we supposed to do with that when we take it to him? Leave it there. But paying attention to the flock means that we take concern when when somebody comes or they give me a call or I get an email or I get a text and say, hey, we're struggling. Can we come and talk with you? That's part of the work of an elder. Because we are to care, because it's not about what you bring into the offering. It's not about what you actually do here. It's about where you will be for all of eternity. Do you remember what we have shared in the past from Matthew chapter 25? There are going to be some people, and there may even be some here this morning. And you're going to stand before God, and you're going to say, Lord, didn't I do all of these things for you? And he's going to say, depart from me, because I never knew you. To me, it is some of the most solemn, sad, tragic, heartbreaking words in all of scripture to think that some who are sitting in churches on a daily basis or on a week by week basis on a Sunday, they're going to be some because you think you were baptized or because you joined Yellowstone or or because you are a teacher or because you are a pastor or because of whatever you were and you think that's going to gain you entry into heaven. I have often used the example, and you, several of you have heard it before from other ministers, and that is if we stand before God and he asks us, why should I let you into my heaven, what would your answer be? And if your answer begins in the first person, I, me, myself, this is what I have done, there will be no entry. Ultimately, it has to be as Alistair Begg said, because the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's the only reason that you and I are going to be there. Exodus chapter 34 shows what is expected of a shepherd. Listen to verse 15 and 16. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And here's our final points this morning. An elder is one who shepherds the sheep. Shepherding the sheep is a pretty big job. It takes more than just one to be able to take care of a congregation. It takes others who are spiritually qualified to be able to do that so that together we actually serve so that one day we can present this body of Christ to the Lord Jesus Christ and hopefully that we will hear the words, well done, you have been a good and faithful servant. Not, well done, you were a great preacher. Not, well done, you built a new building. Not, well done, you gave X amount of dollars to missions. No, God simply calls you and I to be faithful. This passage in Ezekiel is clear that we are to, lie, we are to lead the sheep to lie down in safety. When I take the girls to work, we pass the cows that are in the middle of right in the middle of Cheyenne, down off of Powderhouse. Several of you have probably seen them. Sometimes there is a guy I don't know who he is in fact, I haven't seen him in a while, but has anybody seen the goats recently? The little tiny goats that they bring in that clear out all the culverts? But we were coming by just the other day when we had that big storm, and all of the cows are all huddled up as tight as they can be, and they're lying down trying to stay safe trying to enjoy what they what they're chewing on when you and I are led to safety from the word of God we will realize that the commands of God are not grievous the commands of God are there to watch over us they're there to protect us we are called to seek the lost this is the reason why we do the things that we do in whatever mission project it may be whether it's this here or whether it's other mission projects you can go out here on this wall and you will see our missionaries and the projects that we support seeking the lost is not something that 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 we end up at the end of this year we stop because we've got another project I can tell you that I have been in multiple churches down through the years, just as my dad has, maybe others of you have have done so as well, and the church that fails and ceases to give to missions is a church that dies. You can guarantee it. Bring back those who stray. This is not easy because we don't like correction. We don't like to be humbled before God. But for us to live in harmony and unity with one another, there are times when we are called to address sin. We are are called to address things that are going on maybe in each other's life and say, hey, wait a minute, let's talk about this because what you did or what I saw in you did not bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you have heard it said that A church is like a hospital. It is for those who are sick or those who are injured. This is exactly what Ezekiel is saying in this passage. He says, bind up the injured. We've got several folks who are out this morning. We've probably got 30 people who are gone this morning. Several of them are sick. We've got some in our congregation who just over the last couple of weeks or month or so have been diagnosed with cancer, some stage four. There are some of you here this morning, and maybe everything else is right in your life except for the spiritual aspect, and you feel like your life is falling apart. It is a responsibility of the elder to be able to bind up the injured, to be able to pour oil into those wounds, to be able to pray with you so that God will bring healing. Strengthen the weak. You know, when you get a really bad cold, I'm not talking about a man cold. I'm talking about a real cold (laughs) and you get a really bad cold and your body just gets weak and you feel like you're falling apart and every single part of your body hurts And then your wife or one of your children come up or you help them and you give them a nice hot cup of soup or a cup of tea or whatever it is. And after a day or two, maybe you begin to feel re-energized again. You begin to feel like you have a little bit of strength. Every time you come to church, every time you pick up the Bible, every time you spend time on your knees in prayer with God, you are being strengthened. Because on your own, I can promise you, you and I are not going to make it on our own. The evil one and his minions, they've been alive a lot longer than you and I have. And they know exactly what it's going to take to be able to try to get you from focusing on Jesus. And finally, he says to feed them. I believe it is helpful for us to understand. We have recently gone through and they're found online on our website, sermonaudio.com backslash Yellowstone Baptist. And the message is there that my dad taught through Psalm 23, the great shepherd's song. I am thankful that it is the Lord that feeds us from his word. I don't have to stand up and wonder whether you're going to feel good about yourself when you walk out of here today. What I want you to be able to do is say, when I walk out of here today, I saw how great a God we serve. That to me is the most important thing that you can ever take away from any message here at Yellowstone. Was Jesus Christ exalted and glorified? Is he being exalted and glorified in my life? You want a challenge this week? Here's the challenge. Strive to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ this week than you were last week. That's the challenge. It won't be easy. If you want to set your mind to taking time to read God's word, everything in the world is going to happen. The kids are going to get up earlier than you. The phone's going to ring. You're going to get a dozen texts. You're going to get onto Facebook and three hours later, you're going to realize you didn't learn a thing. But if you get up and you spend time in God's word, you will learn more about him. You will learn more about yourself and you will realize what a gracious God we serve, an awesome God that he not only saved us, but that he also is sanctifying us. And one day he will come back and he will glorify us and we will be perfect. What a day that will be on our Jesus we shall see. We shall look upon his face, the one who saved us by his grace. When he takes us by the hand and leads us through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Amen. I invite you to stand with me. We don't have a final hymn this morning because I want you to just take time contemplating what you have heard today. I want you to take time and ask God what he would have you to do, how you can be more like him. I asked you at the beginning and I told you what I was going to or that I was going to tell you something in regards to the list. The list, because this was asked, the list of men are those who are actually members right now. There are some who are considering membership, so they were not included per the Constitution. But this list that is on here, there are men that may not, some of you may not qualify right now, but the goal of a shepherd, the desire, the work of a shepherd is to get every man to the point where we train them so that they can serve. One day I'll be gone. The graveyard is full of people who thought they were indispensable. And I can assure you that one day, even if you are nothing more than an elder or a deacon, as it were, a servant within your own home, if you rise to that level, you will be blessed by God. Because you do have a little flock, men. You have your families to take care of, to provide for them, to love them, to serve them. To be an example of Christ to them in every way. The list that we have, we will be using that. But I want you to continue taking time. Because until you understand truly what an elder and a deacon is, I want to make sure that we do before we move forward. And I believe that would be right in God's timing. Ponder with me by way of benediction this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said, amen.